You'll find our scripture reading in the New Testament scriptures in John's Gospel. And we're reading some verses towards the end of the 13th chapter of John's Gospel and then reading into chapter 14. John's Gospel, the 13th chapter, and we'll commence at verse 36 of the 13th chapter and then read into chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 13, and commencing to read from verse 36. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whether I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Verily, verily I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If ye love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. 
And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Ending there at verse 21 of that 14th chapter, and we know that the Lord will add his own blessing to the reading of his word for Christ's sake. Amen. (coughs) This 14th chapter of John's Gospel is perhaps one of the more familiar chapters in all of the entire Gospel of John. It's a chapter that if we were attending a funeral service, perhaps there would be reference to it. Indeed, there may be many verses read from this very chapter that we've been reading from this evening. We find the setting is such that the Lord Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to disciples that are anxious, they're very fearful, they are sorrowful. He says to them in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. The Savior knew their hearts, he could see right into their hearts. He did know that they had very, very troubled hearts. In fact, the word that is used here and translated troubled is that word that would portray for us the thought or the scene of a very, very strong wind coming across, say, a lake. And as we would view the water, we might well conclude that water is most agitated. It seems to be very, very troubled. That is the strength and the meaning of the word that the Savior used when he said to these disciples of his, let not your heart be troubled. So therefore it's true to conclude, and it's right for us to conclude, that there were very strong, indeed very, very painful emotions that were throbbing in those hearts. In such a time as that, it is necessary to believe and so not to faint. You'll notice that The Saviour does say in verse 1 again of John 14, Ye believe in God, believe also in me. If they're going to believe, they must believe in God. And not only must they believe in God, the Saviour says, you must also believe in me because your hearts are so anxious, your hearts are so fearful, they're filled with such sorrow They are so greatly troubled. You must believe and you must trust. Believe what? Well, the Lord Jesus said, ye believe in God. The sense and the meaning of what he's saying is simply this. uh, You must believe what God says. And you must also believe what is said of God in his own word. You must believe me what I say and what is said of me in God's own precious word because those who believe will trust and none can trust who do not believe. And so it is for those, if I speak to some this evening and your heart is greatly troubled, your heart is greatly afflicted, The word is coming to you, even as a believer, as a Christian, you must believe, lest you would faint. You can recall, perhaps, the words of the psalmist in Psalm 27 and verse 
uh, 13, he said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So the hearts of these disciples were troubled and anxious. What was causing them such anxiety? Why were they so agitated? Why were they so troubled? Well, they know that the Savior is very soon going to, going to leave them. And as we think upon that, we know that when death comes, then there is a, there is a separation. And when that separation is coming, and we know it's going to come sooner or later, then sometimes we might have that feeling, well, are we really willing to, willing to part with them? Are we willing to experience this, this separation, this, this pain of separation that's going to come? We might say, well, I'm not willing to part, and you might, you might give various reasons. I'm not sure if it's well with their soul. I would be very concerned as to their relationship with God. Are they in Christ? Are they saved? Or are they still out of Christ and in their sin? That might be one reason that you would have the troubled heart and not willing to see a parting coming. It could be that you might feel, well, yes, it is well with their soul and they're going to be with Christ when the parting comes. The Lord's going to take them home to glory, but... Ah, then, is it going to be well with me if I'm the one who's left here? How will it be with me whenever they leave, whenever, whenever they go? And there might have been something of that sense and that feeling here in the hearts of these disciples. The Savior is not going to be staying. He's going to be leaving. He's going back to heaven. And they, they realize something of what that might mean and they're, they're unsure and they're uncertain in many ways but if they had believed the word then they would have known that both are going to gain by this separation that's coming both the saviour himself and these very disciples because where's the saviour going from the context of the verses that we've just read in john 14 He's going back to the Father's house. He's going to be in the Father's house. He's going back to the Father's throne. He's going to be on that throne. And he's going to dwell in the Father's house, which is heaven. And he's going to sit on that throne. And therefore, his going there is going to secure for them mansions in the glory and he speaks of those mansions in verse 2 in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so i would have told you i go to prepare a place for you but somehow there's something of a misunderstanding in the hearts of the disciples when they hear the savior's words there, there ought not to have been but then when we think of times of ourselves, don't we, don't we so often have a misunderstanding of what the Lord is saying in his word? We sometimes misinterpret. It's not the Lord's fault, it's our fault. But we sometimes misunderstand completely some portion of God's own holy word. And here is a case in point where there was a misunderstanding as far as these disciples were concerned. 
because the Lord Jesus said in verse 2, I go, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And then he said this in verse 4, And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? Oh, they should have known. They should have understood, but obviously they didn't. I draw your attention to the context here, and that's why we were reading some verses in John chapter 13. Because you'll notice in verse 36 of John 13, we read, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. And you see, when you read that in verse 36, and then you come to read the opening verses, verses 1 to 4, of this next chapter, the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, you find the Lord is giving a very clear answer to that which was posed, the question that was posed in verse 36 of John 13. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? So in the context, it should have been very clear to the disciples here, but Thomas is saying, Lord, we know not, we know not whither thou goest, and how, how can we... Can we know the way? The Lord Jesus was going back to heaven, but how was he going back to heaven? He was going to be going back to heaven through suffering and death. Suffering and death. And then we discover here that the Savior brings into sharp focus the way by which they, his disciples, and all true believers of his will in due time follow him where he is going. And in doing this, he, he corrects their misunderstanding. And he does so in the words of our text here in John 14 and verse 6. He said these words to them, very well-known words, very familiar words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so the theme before us in verse 6 is simply the only Saviour. The only Saviour. And that's the theme that I want to dwell upon for just a little time this evening, the only Saviour, as we have it here in the sixth verse of the 14th chapter of John's Gospel. And as we come to consider this theme, the first thing I want to draw your attention to is simply, I want you to notice the unique affirmation that's made. The unique affirmation that is made. We read it here in verse 6 of John 14 and it's in these words. I am the way, the truth and the life. That's unique. Sometimes we hear people speaking about something being unique and say, you know, that's very unique. Well, I, I suggest that it's either unique or it isn't unique. 
And this is certainly a unique affirmation. Because what is the Lord Jesus doing here? He is setting forth personal claims. Claims concerning himself. In the words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. These are not the words of a prophet of the Lord. These are not the words of an apostle saying blessed and wonderful things about the Lord Jesus. No, these are the words of Christ himself affirming, affirming most comforting and sublime truths pertaining to himself. He's confirming things relating to the salvation of God. And he does it in a very straightforward, a very, very simple, a very plain way. You'll notice he begins by saying, I am the way, I am the way. When you have mentioned made of the word way, what might come to mind? Well, it might be that it would come to your mind of a, a pathway or a, or a roadway from one place to another, a way. Now remember, the Savior has already spoken about the Father's house, which is heaven in verses 2 and 3. He's spoken and referred to the place of many mansions, which is heaven itself. And now he says, I, I'm making this claim concerning myself. I am, I am the way. It's as if he's saying to them, understand that all of the materials needed to make a way to heaven are found in me because I am the way. He said that in response to the question that Thomas had posed in verse 5. Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? The Lord has been speaking of where he's going. He's going to the Father's house. He's going back to heaven. And in a short time, he'll go back there into the presence of the Father. And then in reference to the only path that leads there, he makes the claim, I am the way. I am the way. But then he adds this, I am the, I am the truth. Let me ask you this, what is truth? How would you define truth? If someone came and asked you, could you tell me what truth is? What, you're speaking about truth, what do you mean by that? How would you answer? What kind of a definition or description would you give if you were asked and faced with that question, what is truth? Because the Lord Jesus says here, in effect, I am the truth. I am the truth. Well, put it very simply. Truth is just a statement of reality. That's what truth is, put very simply. It's a statement of reality. But what is the reality? What is the reality that's being referred to here and spoken of here? Well, as you look at the context in which our text is found, it's to be fit or prepared for those mansions, heaven itself, to have a title for heaven, to be able to gain an entrance into heaven. And the reality is that this is in Jesus Christ who is the truth. It's to know God and to dwell with him. And the Lord Jesus here is claiming that he is the truth. 
You remember in another chapter of John's Gospel, in John chapter 18, there was one, namely Pilate, who was posing a question to the Lord Jesus. And in John 18, verse 37, we read, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Every one that is of the truth heareth my voice. But what did Pilate then respond and say in the light of the words that the Savior spoke forth? Well, we're told in verse 38, Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? What is truth? I suggest to you that he was posing that question, What is truth? rather cynically. It was as if he was really saying when he asked the question, what is truth? Well, really, is there any such thing at all as truth in an absolute sense? Could there be any kind of absolute truth? Is it not just whatever you decide for yourself is the truth? If you decide this is the truth, well then this is the truth. But if you decide a polar opposite... Oh, well then, if you decide that that's the truth, well then, that's the truth. It's as if Pilate's saying you can't have any absolute truth. And yet, before him stood the one who is truth incarnate, the Lord Jesus himself. And he makes this personal claim. I am the truth. Oh, this is the unique affirmation. But then he adds something more. He says, I am the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, what's he referring to when he's speaking about the life? Is he speaking about just a mere existence? He's speaking of life in a spiritual sense. Now, what is life in a spiritual sense? I say to you that life in a spiritual sense is to know communion with God. That's life. To know communion with the God of heaven. Have you got this life? Do you experience, do you know, a realized communion with the Lord? You see, this is the life that's being spoken of here. It's the very life that the Savior himself mentioned and spoke of in his great high priestly prayer over in John chapter 17 and verse 3 and the words are these and this is life eternal this is life eternal this is eternal life what is eternal life well the Savior tells us in that third verse that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent What's the life that was forfeited in the Garden of Eden and can only be restored in and through the Lord Jesus Christ who is the life? I tell you it's life in the realm of communion with God. This is the essence of life. Did not the Saviour himself say in John's Gospel chapter 10 I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly.
So can you see this unique affirmation? He's all of these. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life in himself. I, even I, he says, I'm the way. I, even I, I'm the truth. I, even I, am the life. He's placing an emphasis upon this. He's saying, I have not come to create some way because I myself, I am the way. I have not come to point to some truth because I in myself, I am the truth. Nor have I come to reveal some kind of a way of life because I in myself, I am the life. So he's all of these in himself. But still thinking about this unique affirmation, He's all of these <coughs> exclusively. <coughs> to the exclusion of everyone else and everything else. Because he doesn't say, I am a way, or I am a truth, or I am a life, as if I'm just one amongst many others. <coughs> no, he's saying, refuse me, Reject me, and you have no way, you have no truth, you have no life. You see, when he makes this affirmation, we can have complete and total certainty in these matters. So he's all of these in himself, he's all of these exclusively. So that means that we can draw this conclusion. The way then to heaven can not be in ourselves. It can't be in ourselves. Or it can't be in any other being. Or in any other institution. Or in any other kind of organization. No matter of what kind. Since he in himself is the way. The way to heaven. The way cannot be found in us, because apart from him we're lost. Without a way, you're lost now, outside of Jesus Christ. You're lost now, outside of the Lord Jesus, in your sins. And you will be forever lost, if you do not know him as the way, the only way to heaven. It's giving us the picture here of the lost soul, isn't it? That lost soul that Jude speaks of so clearly, so vividly in his little epistle. Those wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. A wandering star with no pathway on which to travel headed out to the dark, dark regions of outer space. And that's just a picture of the soul <clears throat> forever in the place of eternal darkness, the soul that does not know Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. The truth doesn't reside in us, no matter how educated we might be, according to the world's standards. The way is not in us, we're lost. 
The truth is not in us. We're ignorant. We're in darkness. The life is not in us. We are spiritually dead. We do not have the life of God in our soul. And the life of God is everlasting life. The life of God is, is eternal life. You remember what Paul said when he was writing to the Ephesians, you hath he quickened or you hath he made alive who were dead, spiritually speaking, dead in trespasses or because of trespasses and sins. And this is our condition by nature, all of us. There's no spiritual life in us. So what the Savior is doing here is just giving giving a true diagnosis. You know, when we go to the doctor, we do expect him to give us a true diagnosis, don't we? Well, here is the great physician himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, giving a true diagnosis of our condition and making it so clear that we're lost in our sin. We can't of ourselves find a way to heaven. The truth's not in us and we have no spiritual life. So that's the unique affirmation. But I want secondly to speak to you from these words upon an unmistakable indication. An unmistakable indication. Because again in John 14 verse 6 the Lord Jesus said, No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man cometh unto the Father but by or through me. Now these are his words. Have you ever heard someone sometimes say, do you see those Christians? You know, I think they're bigoted. They, 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 they tell you there's, there's only one way to heaven. I don't believe that. If you're sincere, there are many ways to heaven. But those Christians, they, they say, no, no, there's just, there's just one way. Well, these are the words of the Lord Jesus himself. Is he bigoted? Would you call him a bigot? He's not. And yet he says, No man cometh unto the Father but by or through me. Do you see that? This is universal. Matters not where you are. Matters not who you are. Matters not where you live. What class or creed. No man. No one in any place of any race in any time in human history. It touches everyone. The Savior says, No one, no man cometh unto the Father but through me. What does he mean by that? No man cometh unto the Father. Think of the word translated cometh for a moment. <coughs> no man cometh unto the Father. That does not mean, that does not mean that you won't come before God in judgment. Because we have many, many scripture references that make it clear that we will come before God and he will be there as the judge. I can give you just one reference, Romans 14 verse 12. Every one of us, Paul said, writing to the, the Christians at Rome, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. 
And on the day of judgment we will see God have his own son as the appointed judge upon his throne. Well, what is the meaning then when the Savior says, No man cometh unto the Father? What's he really saying? What does he mean? Simply this, that no one can come to God as Father and find him a pardoning God, a receiving God, a gracious God, a welcoming God, <coughs> unless he comes through Jesus Christ. That's what the Savior is saying. Coming through Christ. <coughs> coming by Christ or through Christ. Coming through Christ as the way to the Father. Coming through Christ as the truth concerning how sinners must approach the Father. Coming through Christ as the life who alone can impart that knowledge and saving relationship with the Father. That's what he's saying. That's what he means. He is in effect saying, I am the only mediator between God and man. I'm the only one. There is none other, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Oh, who, who is the me here? It's, it's the Lord Jesus. It's the Christ of biblical revelation, the virgin-born Savior, who took into union with his deity a sinless humanity. The Word became flesh. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And after the Word took flesh, he was still God. And now he is enfleshed God. For there are the two natures in his one glorious person forever. And when he said these words, of our text no man cometh unto the father but by me he was conscious of who he was he was conscious of his own identity I say that for this reason in, in an earlier chapter in John's gospel and I'm not asking you to turn to it it's John's gospel chapter 6 in that 6th chapter of John's gospel the saviour the same saviour who uttered these words in our text, he spoke of himself as the bread. And he spoke of himself as the bread from heaven. And if you were to read some of the verses in John chapter 6, you would read the words that I came down from heaven. No man can say that. No mere man can say that. I came down from heaven. So that shows he was conscious of his own unique identity. God manifest in flesh. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Through the uniqueness of my person and the perfection of of my work at the cross. And so you see, if you don't come to this Christ, you don't have God's salvation. 
No one comes to the Father for forgiveness and acceptance for life but through Christ. No one will come to the Father at the last day to receive one of the mansions but through Christ and only through him. Now that's an unmistakable indication in our text, isn't it? But then in the third and final place, as we consider these words in our text, they lead us to an urgent examination. An urgent examination. And we must take just a few moments to to conduct this examination in the light of this text of Scripture. And I have to ask you, examinations, they pose questions, don't they? Maybe we can think back to some examinations that we've sat in past times and there were all those questions that we had to answer. Well, there's an urgent examination here. May I pose to you a few questions? What's your condition? What's your condition in the light of this text of Scripture? Are you fully persuaded that you can have no saving dealings with God apart from Jesus Christ? Are you fully persuaded? Are you fully convinced of that? If not, you need to give serious consideration to this. This matter, this matter is urgent. Because remember, everyone will have dealings with God on the day of judgment. And Paul tells us in Hebrews, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So what is your condition? Are you in Christ? Are you saved? Or are you yet in your sins? I ask you another question. What is your conviction in your own heart concerning Jesus Christ? Is he for you the only way to God? Is he for you the truth from God? Is he for you the life of God? Are you convinced that only Jesus Christ can secure your acceptance with the Father? Are you really convinced and persuaded that if you do not have him as your Savior and your Redeemer, you're doomed? You're doomed. It's just as serious as that. The matter is as urgent as that. That leads me to ask you another question. What's your choice? What's your choice? Will you choose sin or the Savior? Salvation is in a person. True salvation, God's salvation, is in the person of Jesus Christ. That being so, are you going to choose him as your way? 
as your truth, as your life? Have you forsaken the foolish and damning notion that you can find a way to God yourself? Or are you able to say, I have placed the whole weight of my soul on him? Or to express it in another way, I have put the feet of my soul on Jesus Christ as the only way to the Father, and I can say of him, he is my way. <coughs> is he your truth? Have you received him as the one who speaks the very word of God, whose truth sets men and women free? Is he your truth about God? Is he your truth about yourself? Is he your truth about how poor lost sinners can be made right with God? <coughs> Is he your life? Can you say, I know I have passed from death unto life? We can think of the words of the father of the prodigal son. This is my son which was dead, but is alive again. You see, that's why, that's why we must tell you of Jesus Christ. That's why we must preach to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why we must tell everyone that we, we possibly can Those who have no way of themselves. Those who know no truth of themselves. And those who possess no life of themselves. That's why we must confront them with the message of Christ and him crucified. We've sought to do that tonight. Christ Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by or through him.